On Sunday nights, we're studying the book of John, the Gospel of John. If you have a copy of God's Word, look with us to the book of John, chapter 12, tonight. And we'll begin reading with verse 1. And I am so glad that Bob did not text his daughter and tell, tell her that. Instead, he decided to tell the whole world on the Internet. <laughs> that will be there forever. Last time in John chapter 11, we saw where the Sanhedrin and the chief priests and the Pharisees are scheming to kill Jesus. They don't like what he's saying. They don't like what he's doing. The last miracle he performed, the raising of Lazarus, was the last straw. This is the miracle they couldn't uh, explain. This is the one they had to admit. It did happen. And so they decided it's best for one man to die. And so Jesus goes away, and then we come to the story in John chapter 12, verse 1. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And so they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving. But Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was attending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief, and as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was in, put into it. And therefore Jesus said, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with me, but you do not always have me. Let's pray. Our Father, tonight as we open your word, And seeing this story, help us to understand it. Father, let us see it. Father, let us experience it. And let us apply it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you ever heard the story of John Gilbert. John Gilbert, at age five, was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy, and by age 25, he had died. Every year, it seemed as if John lost something. One year, he lost the ability to run. He couldn't play sports. Another year, he could not walk straight, and he, all he could do was watch other play. And over time, he kept losing things, and finally, he lost the ability to speak. John suffered in more ways than many of us can even imagine because at school he was bullied because he was different, especially in the lunchroom where the teachers would not be in there to supervise. John wrote, what a silly species we are that we need to feel accepted ourselves, but we constantly rejected others. And John suffered physically and emotionally. But John had other moments in his life that he loved. 
One time he was invited to the National Football League fundraising auction. And there was one item that John really liked. Surprisingly, it was a basketball at an NFL fundraiser. But it was a basketball signed by the players of the Sacramento Kings. And John really wanted that basketball. So when the time came to bid, he raised his hand. His mother quickly grabbed the hand and put it down because they didn't have the funds to even begin to bid on anything in that room. And she was so embarrassed. Now John was embarrassed. And they watched as the bidding proceed. And it was an astounding amount of money. There was these men and people kept bidding on this basketball. And finally, one man made a bid that was so high that no one could possibly match it. And he won the prize. And so the man went up to claim the prize. He claimed the basketball. And, but instead of going back to his seat, the man walked across the room and gently placed the ball in the thin, small hands of the boy who desired it so strongly. The man placed the ball into the hands of a boy that would never dribble the ball down a court. He would never throw it to a teammate and he would never try a free throw. But he put the ball in the hands of a boy that would cherish it as long as he lived. John wrote about that night. This is what he said. It took me a moment to realize what the man had done. I remember hearing gasp all around the room and thunderous applause and weeping eyes. To this day, I'm amazed. Have you ever been given a gift that you could never have gotten to your, for yourself? Has anyone ever sacrificed a huge amount for you without getting anything in return except the joy of giving? On that night at that auction, what the people witnessed was a moment of an extravagant love and an extravagant gift. In the text tonight, that what we just read a few moments ago, we're going to see another example of extravagant love, extravagant gift, and extravagant worship. Surprisingly now in John chapter 12, the first 11 chapters of the book of John has been about Jesus' life for the first 33 years. Now for the next 10 chapters, John is only going to talk about the last few days. John is going to show that the last few days of our Lord Jesus was the most important. It was the key to his ministry. It's the purpose for him being here. So from chapter 1 to chapter 11, the first 33 years. Chapter 12 to the rest of the book, the last few days of Jesus. And it begins at a meal. Really more like a banquet. A banquet for what Jesus had done in John chapter 11 by raising Lazarus from the dead. And at this meal, something is going to happen that is found in the book of Matthew, Mark, and John. Something happened so much that God wanted us to remember it, so he put it in three of the books. And it's a story about extravagant love. Tonight, I want to make some observation on extravagant worship and love. First, Extravagant worship is expressed in public. Extravagant worship is expressed in public. The background of this story, John says in verse 1, he says, six days before the Passover. He's telling us when this is going to take place. You know, the Passover, they celebrated every year. It was observed in Jerusalem. It was the time of remembrance when the people were led out of Egypt into the promised land. It was that time they remember how they took a lamb and, and made the sacrifice, put the blood on the doorpost. 
and the angel of death pass over. 1,400 years earlier, that event took place, and every year they remembered that. This was their July 4th celebration. And the Jews would flock to Jerusalem. Thousands and thousands of people would come to do the Passover in Jerusalem. And here in this context, John is saying, as people are flocking to Jerusalem to celebrate, in the background we saw last week, there's this shadow of secrecy of the Sanhedrin. They wanted to kill Jesus. They told people, let us know. If you find Jesus, let us know. There is a reward on him. And while there is this threat of death, Jesus comes back to Bethany. That's what he says. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. He knows they're trying to kill him, but he comes back because there's a meal, a party, a banquet. We know in the book of Mark that this is the house of Simon. In fact, Mark calls him Simon the leper. Well, I can tell you something about Simon the leper. It should be called Simon the ex-leper because if he's leper, you would not be in his home. (laughs) Apparently, Jesus had healed him too. And there in that house of Simon, the leper, you find Lazarus at the table, the man who was dead, who's not alive. John says Martha is serving. Again, that doesn't surprise us because in chapter 11, what is Martha doing? She's serving. But where is Mary? Mary had more reason to worship Jesus than anyone because it was Mary, if you remember, she's the one that had some doubts about Jesus. She's the one that said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, and she said nothing else. And so John says in verse 1 that Jesus came to this place. In verse 2, so they made him a supper, therefore, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of the reclining at the table with him, and Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume, a pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. John says, as they are reclining. Now, again, if you're not familiar with this, in those days, they didn't sit at tables. I know uh, Leonardo da Vinci, the Last Supper, people think that's how they sat. No, that's not how they sat. They had these tables close to the ground. They had these pillows, and you would sit with your feet outward, and you would lean on your left arm, and you would eat with your right hand. That's how you would do it. So your feet would be outside as you're leaning on your arm. That's how they would do it, and they would recline as they're eating. And so John says, here they are. They're reclining while they're eating. Verse 3, Mary comes in. Remember, she's the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And she comes in, and she has expensive perfume. And she anoints the feet of Jesus. By the way, it's interesting to me that three times Mary is mentioned in the Bible, she's always at the feet of Jesus. She is the picture of devotion. And so she comes into this room, and it's filled with people. She didn't do this in private. She did this in front of everyone. Now, what's amazing is you have to understand this was against the cultural environment of the day. This was against the cultural convention of the day. You would not approach a man in honor of sitting there unless you were serving him food. But Mary doesn't care. Mary doesn't care what people think. She wants to worship her Lord. She comes to Jesus. Jesus is her Lord. Jesus is her master. She deeply loves Jesus because of what he has done for her and what he did for Lazarus. 
Her devotion is, is triumph over everything. And she wanted everyone to know how much Jesus meant to her. And so she doesn't do this in private. She does this in public. She doesn't care what people think. All she wants to do is honor her Lord. And to do this in public was daring. And not only that, women in that culture did not let their hair down. If you let your hair down in public, it was considered immodest and inappropriate. A woman's hair was considered her glory. And here is Mary. She's anointing the feet of Jesus with perfume, and she lets her hair down to wipe his feet. Whatever glory that she might have had, she doesn't care. She wants to give it to Jesus. This was scandalous. This act would make some people blush, and it would make some people angry. But she didn't care. She wanted to worship her Lord. She wanted to honor Jesus in public. Extravagant worship is always done in public. Don't be afraid to demonstrate your love for Jesus. We have a tendency we hold back. And yes, we should worship in private. You better worship in private. But in public, don't hold back your worship. Because worship is public. Matthew Redmond wrote a book entitled The Uncrenchable Worshiper. And he's talking about Mary at this moment. He says, it was the worship of a woman who didn't know the rules, an unpredictable, untamed heart on a quest to see Jesus glorified. Extravagant worship will be public. Second observation. Extravagant worship is expressed in giving, not getting. Extravagant worship is expressed in giving, not getting. Mary comes in this picture, and she is going to give Jesus a gift. Verse 3. She took a pound of very costly perfume, a pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus. She brought a gift. This particular perfume that she mentions comes from India, northern India. Matthew says it costs a year wage. Later on in the story, they said it was worth more than 300 denarii. So today, we're talking in today's dollar, about $25,000. So where does she get this? This expensive item would have been a family heirloom, a treasure. This was something that would probably have been passed down for generation and generation. It was supposed to be used for a special occasion. I remind you, she did not use it for her own brother. She's waiting for some special occasion, something they've been passing on for generation and generation, and she decides now to give it to Jesus. Maybe she's thinking of that passage in the book of Isaiah, chapter 54, verse 2, where it says, Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your curtain wide, do not hold back. A verse telling us, do not hold back when we give. She wants to give a gift to Jesus. You see, our problem is, if we're going to be honest, our problem is, many of us, we look at how little can I give to Jesus? How little can I give in my time, my talents, my money? But Mary wanted to give extravagantly. She wanted to give everything. 
heard a story about a man who went to a perfume store and he was going to buy some perfume for his wife and, and the lady said, well, here's a little bottle, it's $100. And he said, well, whoa, can you show me something cheaper? And so she got another bottle of perfume. She said, here's one. Now, this is $60. He said, whoa, whoa, hey, do you have any, can you show me something cheaper? So she got another one. She said, now, this is $30. He said, whoa, can you show me something cheaper? Finally, she showed him a little bottle. She said, this one is $15. He said, whoa, can you show me something cheaper? She said, yes, sir. And she gave him a mirror. You see, our attitude sometimes, how little can I give? Mary's attitude, I want to give the best I own. I want to be extravagant. And true worship is always about giving and not getting. True worship is simply an expression of adoration for God. Worship is not about feelings. It's not about an emotion. It's always manifest an expression of love. And you want to give. It's not about getting. Listen, you cannot worship. I cannot worship without giving. Giving of yourself, giving of your emotion, giving of your thoughts, giving of your money, giving of your gifts, whatever it may be. It's impossible to worship without giving. It's kind of like the wise men who came and they fell down before Jesus and they worshiped him and then they gave. They came to Jesus. They didn't come to get something from Jesus. They came to give something to Jesus. Our problem today in our culture, is people come to church to get something. They come to get a good sermon, hear a good song, have a good experience. And please understand what I'm about to say. If you're coming to worship to get something, you will never be satisfied. It's impossible. Family sitting at the table after church one Sunday, father said, that sermon was terrible. The mother said, well, that soloist was bad. The teenage daughter said, well, the choir was also, I mean, bad too. And the little boy said, not a bad show for 25 cents. Please hear what I'm about to say, and I say this with all my love. If you go to a worship service and it's boring, it's not the people on the stage fault, it's your heart. Okay? See, we have this idea in this culture, oh, it's, you, you have to do something for us. That's not worship. You don't find that anywhere in the world except the United States. The most powerful worship service I've ever been on, been to, was on a mountaintop outside of Quito in South America. We were in this little room, about 56 degrees. There was a guitar, a tambourine, a small conga drum. They did everything in a language I couldn't speak. I had no translator for two hours. And somewhere in that service, as I began to, to praise God and, and think about God, all of a sudden I'm crying because I met God. You see, we come and we want to get something. If you come to get something, you're not going to get something. Worship is about giving. We don't go to get something. We go to give something. And as you are giving to God, that's worship. And so if we find something boring, it meant that we came with the wrong expectation. We're not there to really worship God. We're there to be entertained or something, but we're not worshiping God. 
A.W. Tozer said, whoever seeks God as a means toward desired end will not find God. R.A. Torrey said, when we bring our prayers, we focus on our needs. When we bring our thanksgiving, we focus on our blessings. When we bring our worship, we focus on God. We come to give. The word enthusiasm, by the way, it comes from two Greek words. The word in and the other word is theos, which is God. It means in God. The true meaning of enthusiasm means in God. Only those who are in God can be enthusiastic about anything. And we should be enthusiastic as we are giving to God in our worship. That's what Mary did. She was giving. It was extravagant worship. Third, extravagant worship is usually criticized by someone. Extravagant worship is usually criticized by someone. It's interesting to know the reaction of those who watch this. Mark said that they began to talk among themselves. They became angry. Matthew and John said they were complaining from the disciples. John gives a little more information. He said it was Judas, Judas Iscariot. He says in verse 5, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? And then John gives this commentary. I love how John gives commentary to us. He said, verse 6, now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. John says, hey, he was stealing from the money box. He didn't want to, you know, he was thinking, wait, she should have given it to me. And then I could have put it in the money box, and then I could use it for whatever I wanted to. But here's this woman, she's worshiping God, and all of a sudden she's being criticized by it. I mean, no one ever considered looking at her saying, what is the price of love? I mean, all they were simply asking, what does it cost? They were looking at her as she's worshiping, and they're being critical of her, and they're demeaning her. And listen, by demeaning the woman, they were demeaning Jesus. Do you understand this? What they're saying is, why did she spend so much on Jesus? Why did she waste money on Jesus? Well, by demeaning her, they're demeaning Jesus. What they're saying is, he is not worth it. And the world and Sally meaning in the church will always never have a problem if you are moderate and measured devotion to Christ. But if you become extravagant, you'll be criticized. Oh, don't spend too much money on worship. Don't spend too much money on the church. Save the money. Oh, don't spend too much money on, on God. Save the money. What happens when we say that, we are saying God is not worth it. I remember my first church. It's a little country church. I've told it before. And we bought some ceiling fans in the church. You had to. It was hot. And we bought those that were silent so you wouldn't hear it. So during preaching, during singing, we hear. We had a man leave the church over it because we spent $100. So I went to see him. He said, we shouldn't do that. We're only in that room only a couple of hours a week. That's wasting money. We shouldn't do that. We, we, we should have bought the cheap one. We can get used to that sound. We shouldn't spend all that money. For 30 minutes, he told me. When he finished, I said, okay, sir, and I just want to come by. And I said two things. I said, I believe God deserves the best, and I like your ceiling fans. Because he had the same ones we bought for the church. And I left. Following Sunday, he was at church. He came up to me and said, Pastor, I need to apologize. 
After you left, I realized I didn't mind spending money on me, but I didn't want to spend money on my God. Will you forgive me? And he asked the whole church to forgive him. The world will never have a problem with moderate, measured devotion to Christ. But the moment you start really worshiping and following Christ, you'll be criticized. A person who walks away from the athletic or business or medicine or, or law profession to go into the ministry, what do they say? Oh, that's a wasted life. That person who leaves home and goes into the inner city to work with the poor and the hurting, people all say, oh, that's foolish. They, they should do something else. When that person walks away from their family and friends, and they go to the mission field on the other side of the world to reach the unreached people group. People say, oh, I can't believe they're doing that. Why, why are they doing that to their family? How dare they? Whenever we truly worship God and we give him everything we have, we're going to be criticized. It's been around from the, in the Old Testament. Remember David? When David was dancing to the Lord, his own wife said, you're an embarrassment to us. David said, I do it for the Lord. When you worship, you're going to be criticized if you do it for the Lord. I mean, if you raise your hand, oh, they're just, they're just boasting. Oh, they're clapping. Oh, they're just being disrespectful. Oh, they're shedding tears. They're faking emotion. But we don't worship for others. We worship for the Lord. Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 1.10, For now I am seeking the approval of God or man. Or am I trying to please man? Well, if I was still trying to please man, I would not be a slave of Christ. You cannot be a follower of Christ and please people. Last, extravagant worship is appreciated or remembered by Jesus. Extravagant worship, Jesus is appreciated and remembered by Jesus. I love the response to this story. Look at verse 7. Jesus said, let her alone that she may keep of the day of my burial. He looks around, he said, leave her alone. She's preparing for the burial. Something's going to, Jesus knows something's about to take place. She is doing something. Jesus defended her extravagant love offering. He is defending her extravagant worship. While they were saying, what a waste, Jesus is saying, what an investment. While they were saying, what a foolish thing, Jesus was saying, what a beautiful thing. The disciples, especially Judas, all they saw was the cost of the item. Jesus saw the value of the event. Jesus said, and some people have problems with verse 8. He said, but you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Now, he's not demeaning the poor at all. What he's saying is, in ministry, sometimes you have to choose between two items, and you always choose God. That's what he's saying. But Jesus did not condemn her. He loved her. Why? Because she worshiped him. You see our takeaways from this? What we can take away tonight? Number one, do what you can. Do what you can. Mary did what she could for the Lord. What can you do? What can you do in worship? Can you sing? Well, sing. Can, can you give? Well, give. Can you teach? Well, teach. What can you do? Do what you can. Second of all, do all that you can. Mary didn't just give some. She gave all. Mary didn't hold back. What are you going to do? Don't hold back. Give everything you have as you worship. And third, do it now.
Mary didn't wait for Jesus to be alone. Mary didn't wait. She didn't wait the following week. She didn't wait a few more weeks. He wouldn't have been there. As soon as she could, she responded. So what about you tonight? What can you do now for Jesus to worship? It's possible tonight for some of you online or here, the first thing you need to do is give your life to Jesus. Do it now. Don't wait. Come to Jesus and say, Lord, I realize I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. And I know you love me. I know you died on a cross for my sins. And on the third day, you arose. And I confess everything to you. If you're watching online, you'd like to give your life to Christ, will you just text the word today at 270-398-5005 and someone will give you a call. But if you're here tonight and you've never given your life to Christ, will you start there? Would you stand and bow your heads? My Father in heaven, this must have been a very impressive event because, Father, even as we're reading it, we can hear John remembering even the smell of the, in the room, the aroma. Father, this event was so special that you put it in three of your books to get our attention. And, Father, we may have extravagant worship because we have extravagant love for you. And, Father, whatever decisions we need to make tonight, Father, we ask you to show us what we need to do, that, Father, we'll do it for you and you alone. Because, Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.